Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Greg, this was what I would call a brazen gerrymander in North Carolina. The redistricting committee included partisan advantage as one of the criteria for the map. What was the focus of the justices' questions? Well, part of it was what you just talked about, the fact that this was uh, an extreme gerrymander, both in terms of the intent explicit by Republicans that they were trying to get as many GOP seats as they could, uh, and the effect of it. It uh, basically worked. Republicans in the first election got 10 out of the 13 seats. Uh, in the second election, they got at least nine. There's one district that's being revoted, and that's even though in both cases, the vote overall was pretty much 50-50. So that was a big, that was one focus of the case. And then the, the second focus was, how are we going to handle this as courts? If we say that this map is too partisan, how are we going to draw a line that will let us judge all these other maps we may be called upon to rule on? So the court has been willing to restrict gerrymandering based on race. Why not so for those based on politics? That's another good question. The court has, in the past, explicitly said taking partisanship into account is okay, at least to some degree. They said that's a legitimate consideration. You also have to look at other things like keeping counties together and you know not having uh, lines that uh, look too ridiculous. With race, on the other hand, there is this, this notion that that is something we really don't want to do unless we have a strong reason for it. We don't like classifying people according to their race even when we're drawing congressional districts. Now, the court has allowed some consideration of race as part of the Voting Rights Act. There, the the primary idea is to make sure that racial minorities are able to elect somebody of their choice to prevent districts from being drawn so that, say, a heavily black city is unable to elect a black representative if that's what the people want. So race and politics sort of start from different places in in the minds of the justices. What is the defense given to maps that are clearly out of whack? Well, part of the, part of the uh, defense is that this is just not something courts are competent to resolve. And this was a concern that Chief Justice Roberts raised last term when the court considered the, these issues. And the lawyer defending the North Carolina map raised this issue again, which is that in every case, the Supreme Court is going to be called upon to decide whether Republicans win or Democrats win. And that is something that could cast a cloud on the court's legitimacy as a nonpartisan actor. Now, the counterargument to that, which lawyers attacking the map put forward, is that the court you know, will look like it is making a political decision if it does not get involved. So it may be that the court can't really win here. The question will be whether they think there's any way they can separate out extreme partisan gerrymandering from cases where politics are considered, but, but not too much. Do any of the justices appear to you to have key votes? Yeah, so the key votes are almost certainly coming from John Roberts, which is something we're getting used to, and Mm -hmm. uh, the the new justice, Brett Kavanaugh. And both of them asked questions of both sides. And by the end of the two arguments today, the court also heard arguments in the Maryland case, it wasn't obvious which way they were going to come out, especially Kavanaugh. He did say during the North Carolina case that the notion of proportional representation, this idea that, you know, if a state is split 50-50, each party should get roughly 50% of the, the representatives, that that was at least something that was pretty easy to apply, judicially manageable. 
but he also pointed to Supreme Court precedents and key opinions by swing justices like Sandra Day O'Connor and Anthony Kennedy that in the past have made clear that the court didn't want to try to mandate proportional representation, that that is not something that's in the Constitution. So based on the argument, Justice Kavanaugh's vote is, is up in the air at this point. So last time, the court sort of skipped the main issue and went to the details. Could that happen again? It could, but it seems harder to. The the last time around in this case involving Wisconsin, the court said that the voters suing there didn't have standing. They hadn't shown, or at least they hadn't shown that they have standing. They hadn't shown that they were injured in a way that would let them sue. And, And the court strongly suggested that any suits should happen not on a statewide basis, but on a district by district basis. A a voter saying, hey, my particular vote didn't count the way it should because the Republicans or Democrats who were in charge of drawing the maps discriminated against me because I don't agree with them. The cases before the court today did not seem like they had that same sort of problem. In North Carolina's case, for example, they have voters from every congressional district who, who are suing, and they are generally saying, uh, my district, uh, not the statewide map, but my district was drawn in an unconstitutional way. And in general, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion about that standing issue in the court. So it seems like the court is going to get to the merits and decide the bigger questions about whether maps like these can ever be challenged. So then what are the implications? here. Will it have wide effects as new maps are drawn? Certainly will have wide effects, both uh, potentially for some maps that are in place right now, but also for the next round of map drawing, which will happen after the 2020 census. And, you know, these are really fundamental questions about, you know, how how our democracy is supposed to work. I mean, the people who, who criticize gerrymandering say we end up with uncompetitive elections that don't reflect the will of the voters. And people on the other side say that the judiciary really needs to stay out of something that is so deeply political and that the system can correct itself. Ultimately, the voters, if they're fed up enough with gerrymandering, can elect different people, maybe not in their particular district. At least they can elect a different governor in a state, or perhaps they can put in place a commission to draw the lines. So there are other tools, is the argument, and the court's going to have to decide which one of those two viewpoints is correct. I noticed in your story that Justice Kavanaugh asked questions about independent commissions. Could the court simply say independent commissions are the way to go? It could, and that would be really interesting. A few years ago, the court upheld independent commissions, but it did it on a five to four vote, and it had seemed like there was a possibility that this more conservative court might reverse that decision at some point, overturn it. But both Kavanaugh and especially Justice Gorsuch used those commissions as one reason why they were at least hinting that the court shouldn't get involved. If that's part of the rationale here, it's really hard to see how the court could later turn around and say, no, those commissions are unconstitutional as well. Thanks, Greg. I know you have more interesting arguments coming up. That's Greg Starr, Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.